Every aspect of the Uncanny Robot podcast is brought to life with the help of artificial intelligence, from the stories we tell, to the music and artwork, and even to this description itself. Hosted by Bram Stoker-nominated author Teresa Matsura and sound designer Rich Pav, Uncanny Robot celebrates the most innovative works people have created with artificial intelligence. We invite you to sit back, relax, listen to a fine collection of AI-generated short stories, and if you like, submit one of your own. Hey, Terry. Hey, buddy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Take what two. I, no, it's what I call you all the time. Let's go with it. Buddy, you're my buddy. <laughs> hey, Terry. Hey, buddy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You're not going to stop, are you? <laughs> the answer to that is no. Oh. <laughs> so this is our second episode. It almost took as long as the first episode to get out. You want to know why? Well, we're going to go into that later. What is our episode about today? Um, We've already said that each episode has a theme. Right. What was the last theme? It was uh, death. No, it was upbeat stories about death. We had to change that because although it was about death, there was some sweetness in there. Mm-hmm. So this second episode is about death. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just blew out the mic, didn't I? You did. But not dead. Death. Yeah, not dead. Yeah. Okay. So the second episode is about not being dead. We're getting better. More specifically, my story is about Elvis still being alive mm-hmm. and being shit nuts crazy. <laughs> is that him or is that the AI? AI wrote the whole story. I just said, hey, AI, Elvis is still alive. Tell me a story. And it went, okay. And it wrote, <laughs> it wrote me a story. <laughs> Terry, what's your story about? Well, my story is about the crazy life Jim Morrison has been living the past 50 years on the Seychelles, working in the Hotel California. Alrighty. Be sure to listen to the end, because we're going to do a walkthrough on the easiest way that you can get started writing your own AI stories. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about how I used AI to create the music that's in this episode. Sounds good. Okay. Let's start with Elvis. Let's do that. You're listening to Uncanny Robot. Machine written stories. Read by human. Read by human. Read by human. By now, everyone knows that Elvis Presley didn't actually die of a heart attack in August 1977 at the age of 42. The entire world was shocked when Elvis, accompanied by his mother, Gladys Presley, walked into an NBC studio and revealed that he faked his own death with the help of the CIA. For all these years, he's been living in exile in Switzerland. He's now 80 years old, and his health isn't what it used to be. But in this day and age, this is probably one of the best things he's ever done. Elvis didn't initially want to make public appearances after his alleged death, and asked that his name not be used at all. Elvis faked his own death because he was worried that the federal government was going to force him to join the military and be brainwashed. The truth is, he didn't want to be part of this corrupt, evil, immoral, and unjust system. He just wanted to be left alone and go on a long vacation. What would you have done if you were Elvis in 1977? 
Would you have made the same decisions he made? I think most people would have. This is just one of the many reasons why I used to believe Elvis Presley was one of the greatest human beings to have ever lived on this planet. There are millions and millions of Elvis fans around the world. We are all the same. All of us. Everyday people. We're the people who listen to his music and sing along. And we're the ones who remember him, who look at pictures of him, and talk about him and his life. He is everywhere. He's in the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the way we walk, the way we talk, and the way we look. He's in our bedrooms. We all still listen to his music. We still love his songs. We still dream that we are like him. He was my best friend, I think. That's what people used to say to me sometimes. My Elvis. My best friend. My Elvis. In my bedroom, Elvis was my hero. I was 12 years old when Elvis allegedly died. I've been a fan for a long time. I'm still a fan despite everything. I still listen to his music. I still remember him. It's hard to understand how this all happened. In the past, he was always perfect. Perfect in his music, in his movies, in his way of singing and dancing, in his whole life. He was perfect to me, and I was perfect to him. Until everything went pear-shaped. More on that later. But for those of you who have never heard of Elvis Presley, let me give you a little background. Elvis was born Ralston Oliver Jones in Tupelo, Mississippi on August 13, 1935. He was born with a birth defect of a partially fused spine that required a series of six corrective back surgeries. He was named after his mother's favorite singer, Billie Holiday. His mother, Gladys, had been a dancer in a strip club where she met a local traveling car salesman named Jake Smith. In 1943, he changed his name to Elvis Aaron Presley. In the summer of 1953, Elvis joined his mother and her second husband, Charlie, in California. He was just a teenager, but he had already begun to develop a guitar-playing style which would form the basis of his musical career. The next year, he was enrolled at the University of Southern California. However, he decided to transfer to UCLA where he met a young blonde girl named Priscilla Boldieu. They dated for a year and a half before they were married on January 8, 1957. At this time, Elvis Presley was a poster child for the nation. During this time, the boy next door was becoming a celebrity. He was appearing on television shows and doing commercials. His first television appearance was at age 16 on The Jackie Gleason Show in 1957. He also made his film debut that year in Love Me Tender. He became famous for his ability to imitate other stars, particularly the likes of Dean Martin and Gene Kelly, by playing along to the recordings of popular singers. As his fame grew, his lifestyle reflected the fact. He bought a house in Bel Air and began to travel extensively. His career was also growing. He had one of the biggest hits of his career, a big hoot from Little Elvis a number one hit in 1958, and was named country's favorite male singer. In addition, 
He starred in a popular TV sitcom titled, Hey, I Just Bought a House, How About a Nice Cold One, which featured the singing, guitar-playing Presley as the host. That same year, he was awarded an honorary doctorate of music by the University of Colorado, a school he attended. He would eventually earn 10 honorary doctorates. In 1962, Elvis made his first movie, a film called Clambake, which featured such stars as Red Buttons and Shirley MacLaine. In 1963, Elvis starred in a film which was a box office hit called Viva Las Vegas. It would be his third and last movie musical and his second movie as a movie star. His popularity continued to grow and he had two more hits in 1963. A live performance of Suspicious Minds from the Elvis special is regarded as one of the greatest performances in pop history. During his life, Elvis had a total of 26 different marriages and was divorced several times. Elvis had a total of 14 children, 12 with his first wife Priscilla and two from his second marriage and was father to nine stepchildren. In 1969, Elvis was hospitalized for three weeks and underwent a sex change operation. It was done in secret at the Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Los Angeles. He was given estrogen and other hormone therapy drugs that would help him become a woman. He changed his name to Priscilla and became known as Priscilla Presley. His mother Gladys Presley told reporters that the sex change operation was done for medical reasons. In later years, Elvis had trouble with his finances and went into debt. In 1969, he filed for bankruptcy. He and Priscilla were divorced in 1973, after she had filed for divorce on the grounds of adultery. He then began a long affair with singer and actress Linda Thompson. After he became ill, he and Thompson would often spend the night together, as Elvis wanted her to nurse him. She was the last person he had sexual contact with before he died. On August 16, 1977, Elvis was allegedly found dead in his bathroom. At the time of Elvis's death, Priscilla was filming a movie in Vancouver, British Columbia. On August 24th, Priscilla was notified by the police that her husband had been found dead. She received the news just as she and the other film actors had finished work for the day and were waiting to be flown home. The next day, Priscilla and her daughter Lisa were flown home on the same plane as Elvis's coffin. After it arrived in Memphis, his coffin was taken out and placed in the funeral home of Elvis's father, Vernon. The funeral took place on August 27, 1977. Priscilla was the only one to speak at the funeral. She spoke of her love for Elvis and of his kindness. She said, Elvis was the love of my life. We shared so much together. Elvis was my best friend and the best man I ever knew. My life was complete when he was part of it. Today, 41 years after his death, the average age at which people are found dead, we still remember him. He is everywhere. He's in the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we look. In reality, 
Elvis has been hiding in plain sight and living off his considerable fortune. He is currently working on a top-secret project. Elvis's own fans are the only ones who know about this, and no one is allowed to tell a soul about this secret. This has left people with a lot of questions. Who's working on this secret project with him? How will Elvis use his fortune to further his project? Is it just one project or multiple projects? Is it a movie project, or will it be a music project? Is Elvis working on a book of some kind? I'm going to attempt to answer all of these questions and more as I uncover the truth. Let's start at the beginning. There was a brief mention of this secret project at the end of Elvis's video, Elvis, Can You Spare Me a Dime? In it, Elvis mentions something along the lines of, I'm working on a new project. Many fans assume that this new project would be something very close to the core of Elvis. If Elvis were still in the army, he would most likely have a top-secret clearance. What could this new project be? The first time I saw Elvis, he was in Palm Springs. He was having a party at his mansion, and he was looking pretty good for his age. We talked for a long time, and I told him about that time I fainted on the toilet and almost drowned in the bathtub. Elvis said that was a good story, and he said, You shouldn't be scared of water. And then he asked me if I'd be interested in working for him. We talked for a little while longer, and we laughed a long time about all the folks who thought he was dead. After that, he called me at my office every week for about a year and a half and asked me if I could get people to talk about his death. It was a real pain because a lot of Elvis's fans were really worried that he was dead. When he was alive, Elvis's fans used to call me and ask me questions like, How can you be sure Elvis is alive? Or, How can you be sure that I'm Elvis? I just told them the truth, and they seemed happy enough. I was sure Elvis was alive because the man himself told me so. Elvis wanted to talk about his new album, too. He asked me why it was called Black is Black. I told him about all the white people who thought he was dead, and he said it was because he wanted to bring black people into the world of pop music. He asked me if I'd be interested in working for him, and I said yes, because he had more money than anyone else I knew. He said I could be his assistant, and we talked for a while about the possibilities. He said that he'd become the best-selling entertainer in the world, and that he'd help a lot of black people. Elvis told me that he wanted to make sure black people were taken care of, and he told me how he could do it. He said that he was going to sell all of his white friends into slavery, and that's how he could help black people. I've known a lot of people in Hollywood, and I've been making friends with a lot of the white people that Elvis used to hang around with. It's not as easy to sell someone into slavery as it sounds. I've done a lot of research, and there's a lot more to it than you'd think. I told Elvis that he was crazy. He said he wasn't crazy, he was very smart, and that I'd see. He said the devil wanted him to be a genius, and that since he made a deal with the devil, that's exactly what he would be. I laughed, but I could tell Elvis was dead serious about his plan. He kept telling me that he wasn't crazy, that this plan was going to be very good. He told me he was going to make a lot of money, and that all of his money was going to go to black people. He said I'd never see any of the money, but it would be good money, millions of dollars. It was a really long speech, and he went on for a long time. It was really hard for me to concentrate. He told me I'd understand. When he was finished talking, he told me I had to promise him something, or else he'd kill himself. I said I'd do anything, but I didn't really want to promise him anything. 
I just wanted to get away from him because I knew he was crazy. I started to walk towards the door. I said I was sorry I was late. I'd been called out of town and I'd forgotten all about my appointment. Elvis got real angry. He told me to take off my clothes and I told him I wasn't going to. He said that if I wanted to be a genius, then I had to make sacrifices. He said that I could either be a genius or he could turn me into a black genius. He told me that if I refused to become a genius, that I would die that day. I was scared. I begged him to let me go. He told me I'd understand. I begged and pleaded with him to let me leave, but he just kept saying that he was going to turn me into a black genius. He got real angry, and he said that he was going to beat me with a belt. I've been whipped before, but I never had anything like this one. It was... It was really horrible, and I started to cry. I told him I'd rather die than be turned into a black genius. I said that if he killed me that day, then he wouldn't have to turn me into a black genius. Then I would be dead, and he could just turn me into a white genius. He got real mad, and he said I wasn't even a white genius. He told me I was going to be a black genius, and he said that it was my own fault that I was a poor genius. Elvis kept telling me that he was going to make me a genius. He said he was going to make me rich and famous. He said he was going to change my life. But I didn't believe him, and I begged him to stop hurting me. He hit me all over my body with a belt, and it hurt so bad. He said I had to stop crying, or he'd keep hurting me. He beat me for a long time. He said that I'd see. He said that I'd never see the sunset again. I had never seen the sunset before. He said that I was going to be famous and that I would never be poor. I, I told him that I just wanted to be a regular person and I didn't want to have to choose. He told me I had to choose. I told him that I wanted to go home and he told me that I was never going home unless I made the right choice. He said I was going to be famous. And he said that I was going to be rich, and he said he was going to take care of me. He said that he loved me. I had to escape. I had to get out of there before he killed me. I escaped in the back of a truck. There were a lot of people out there. They were trying to kill not only me, but my wife, too. They said they were going to kill her because Elvis had told them to. I escaped Elvis's mansion and went to the nearest police station. I told the police about what Elvis did to me and what his plans were. The police arrested him and put him away. He's now serving a life sentence without parole at the Federal Correctional Institute, Butner, North Carolina. Last week, Elvis sent me a letter saying that he was sorry and asking me to forgive him. He said he didn't mean me any harm. I'm still really mad at him. He should have known better than to do something like that to me. He also said he'll give me whatever I want if I forgive him. I sent a letter back telling him that I only forgave him because he begged me to do so. I don't know if he's going to try to pull something. He might try to have me killed. I'm not taking any chances. I have a small arsenal hidden in my house. I also have a few weapons in my car, which are concealed. If he tries anything, 
He's going to wish that he hadn't. Elvis is dangerous. Don't let your guard down around him. He might try to kill you too. You must always be prepared for an ambush. And I will always be there to protect you. Wow, that was really a story. <laughs> Your Elvis impression, every time I listen to it, makes me crack up. And the crying, that was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're not going to cry now, are you? No, <laughs> But you can if you want to, right? One thing that I find so fascinating about making these stories, and especially these two that we did this time, this episode with Elvis and Jim Morrison, so these are people in the public domain, so to speak, is what the AI gets right and what the AI gets wrong. There was a part of the story where it gives Elvis's life story, and it can do that because it was trained on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Right. But it doesn't get the facts right. The facts sound right. Yes, they do. But they're not right. For example, it said, Elvis was born Ralston Oliver Jones in Tupelo, Mississippi on August 13th, 1935. One thing is right, one thing is almost right, and one thing is completely wrong. You want to guess? Yes. Um, my mother was born in Mississippi. I spent a lot of time in Greenville, Mississippi. Down the road from my grandparents' house, there was a mobile home that had a gorgeous Cadillac, and it belonged to Elvis. My mother went to a high school where Elvis did attend. I'm guessing the true fact in what you just said is that he was born in Tupelo? Yeah. Oh, I got it right. <laughs> and the year of his birth was right, 1935. Oh, was it? Okay, so I got but, two things right. But the date is wrong. And... There is no such person as Ralston Oliver Jones. Isn't that nuts? How does he do that? How do the, I don't know how it does. You know, it got a first name, middle name, last name, but it's three names that don't go together. If you Google them, there is nobody named Ralston Oliver Jones. And then after that, it said that he was born with a birth defect of a partially fused spine that required a series of six corrective back surgeries. I don't know who that was, but it's, it wasn't Elvis. And then all through the rest of the biography, there are things that ring true, but aren't true. And that was a lot of fun. And it all kind of sounds true, and it all kind of sounds not true. Right. Like he didn't get a sex change. Oh, he didn't? No. I just want to say, the AI did not make me cry. I made myself cry <laughs> imagining what it would be like to be tortured by the person that you <laughs> admire, the most. admire the most oh my god you're tearing no, up not, you I'm not, are I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> i'm going to post on twitter a photo of the tears alligator tears in his eyes no, i'm not alligator tearing yes you are but i mean i didn't i didn't think that up the whole storyline all i had to do was say okay i like this storyline keep going mm -hmm. or i don't like this let's back up and try again Exactly. But it wasn't me saying, AI, do this. So in the first episode, my story was about the vampire. And there was that one line, you know, everything's going to hell. And he says, can you, do you still remember how to make the flowers bloom? And this kind of, I will call it tenderness, comes back again and again when I'm writing stories. And it's addicting. 
I have a really, really good friend who just wrote me and she said, there is something so sweet about it that almost makes me feel for the AI. And that's, a, I'm, I feel that I'm getting wooed. And in this case, and again, this is our second episode, but I do feel that in both our stories, there is that. There is the horror, there is the truth, there is the absolute absurdity, and yet it all comes back to story, and it all comes back to some kind of sweet point. That is what has got its fist around my heart, is this uncanny truth to what these stories say. Well, let's listen to your story. Let's do that. Whatever happened to Mr. Mojo Ryzen? You may have heard of me. My name is James Douglas. James Douglas Morrison. You might know me by my other name, Mr. Mojo Ryzen. No, not that one. How about the Lizard King? Man, I was always fond of that one. I'm Jim Morrison, and I have to come clean. Fifty years ago, I faked my own death. It's true, and it's not as crazy as you think. There are reasons. First off, I'm a liar. That's what we do best. Lying is our art form. We lie all the time, man. If we didn't, well, then there wouldn't be any good lies, would there? We're very good liars. Don't believe everything you hear, folks. For instance, lies like, Mr. Blue Jean says Jim is dead. Yeah, that's just a joke. It doesn't really exist. Even if it did, he'd be wrong. Anyway, the point of the fact is very sharp and it is that I have been alive and living on the Seychelles for the past 50 years you can call them the islands of love or paradise or even heaven but those aren't accurate descriptions what they are is a place where everyone's dreams come true dreams not nightmares there's no such thing as bad luck here Everyone has the perfect job, and the perfect partner, and the perfect home, and the perfect kids, and the perfect life. Perfect. Like me. My name is Jim Morrison, and I have been lying to you all along, man. What I am going to tell you now will sound like a fairy tale. A story from another time. But it's not. But I don't want to lie to you anymore. You see... This is my last day. I guess I can say, the time to hesitate is through. I'm going to do it. I'm going to die today. If you can't read this, then you won't get to read the rest of it. But I'll give you something to remember anyway. Something that I wish someone had told me when I was young. Something that might have made things different. If only I'd known then what I know now. The truth is, I've been dead for five days. I can't describe how it feels to be dead, at least not yet. 
All I can tell you is that it hurts like hell. I'm not going to go into the details because they hurt. They hurt so bad that I couldn't possibly put words to them. So I'm going to skip ahead and leave you with this question instead. Is dying worth it, man? For me, yes. Because I'm going to save my soul, and I'm going to do it by telling you the truth, by being honest. I have to, man. I've already taken one chance, and now I'm taking another. I'm writing this while sitting in a bar. I'm drinking absinthe. I know, I know it sounds dangerous, but it's not. In fact, it's kind of nice. It tastes like ice cream mixed with fire. It tastes like burning your mouth and turning your eyes red. It tastes like the sun, and it smells like flowers. It makes you feel alive. The bartender gave me a glass and a bottle. She smiled and winked at me. Then she walked on down the hall. So here's the part where I tell you the truth. Because the future, it's uncertain. And the end is always near. This is what I've been doing for the past 50 years. That's right. I have a job. And it pays well. It's called the Hotel California It's a big hotel built on the island of paradise in the Indian Ocean. It's run by the management. It's a very nice place to live. It's filled with beautiful people who are all very kind to each other. It's like a dream come true, except for the occasional murders. And that's where I came in. Before I was murdered myself, you know. Now the Hotel California is haunted. It's been rumored for years that there are ghosts living in the halls. Or maybe demons. Man, that's not important. What is important is that there's a woman named Pamela Weinfart who works here as a maid. And she's not human, not entirely. She's a monster or a zombie, a vampire. She lives to suck the blood out of men. I mean, literally. And that's why I had to fake my own death. Right? I mean, my whole life I traded my hours for a handful of dimes. And so did she. So I faked my own death, moved to this exotic island, and I met Pamela Weinfart at the Hotel California, and I learned that she enjoys sucking the blood from men. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm okay with that. And I was a pretty happy guy for 50-odd years. Life here has been heaven. Until today. Today is the first day that I can't believe that I lived this long. It's like my heart is about to explode. My chest hurts so badly I can barely breathe. I'm sure I've broken ribs. My back feels like it's on fire and the pain is unbearable. I'm bleeding inside. I think my liver is hanging out. And I can't walk straight anymore. I can't focus. I'm losing control of my limbs. It's like I'm in shock or something. I keep thinking about her. I just want to grab hold of her and squeeze the life out of her. It would make me feel better. And that's when I heard a voice. Hey, Jim. 
a voice, a voice I haven't heard in over 50 years, a voice that I thought I'd never hear again. And yet here it is, right next to me. What are you doing? He looks exactly the same as he did all those years ago, like some god of ancient Greece, tall and thin, with dark hair and bright blue eyes. He has a scar under his left eye, the same scar that I have. I could ask you the same thing, I say. You can't die, you're immortal. Not anymore, I said. I'm dead. He smiles and shakes his head. This is getting old, man. Give me a break. I've got a new album to finish. How many times do I have to tell you I'm dead? Okay, how did you fake your own death? He asks. I killed myself. But I didn't really die. I just fell into a coma. Is that what you call it? Okay, fine. We'll go with that. Why don't you just tell me how you got out of your coma and you're still alive? I saw you, I said. I remember you. Yeah, well, I remember you too. Now listen, man, you need to stop faking your death. If you don't get rid of this woman, she's going to kill you and she's going to kill me. I know, I know. But you're dead and I can't kill you because I already did that once. I've got a feeling that you won't let me try again, you know, for old time's sake. That's crazy, he said. I'm not that tough. Maybe not, but she is. She's dangerous. She's kind of soft-driven, slow, and mad like some kind of mink. What's a mink? It's a kind of rodent. They used to be hunted, but now they're considered cute and cuddly. Well, she doesn't seem cute and cuddly to me, he said. Me neither. I've tried to talk to her, but she won't answer. She keeps disappearing, man. I don't even see her around the hotel anymore. She must be real good at it. She's gotten away with murder for years, maybe decades. She must be good at covering her tracks. I'm telling you, man, she's dangerous. Not kidding. She could kill us both if we're not careful. Father? Yes, son. I want to kill you. Mother? I want some absinthe and a straw. And that's the last thing I said to them. They vanished before my eyes like ghosts. But I'm not afraid of ghosts, man. I'm not afraid of anything. Not anymore. I'm not going to live forever. It's over. The pain is gone. I can breathe again. Everything is perfect. You know, the future's uncertain and no one gets out of here alive. But right now, right now everything is perfect. I've got nothing to lose, nothing to fear. And I think I'll just take a bath, wash off all these scars. There's a hot tub in my room. I wonder how deep it is. I'm not afraid of water anymore. I can float down there and drown. I'm tired of being scared, tired of living in terror. I don't want to be frightened anymore. I've had enough of fear. I've had enough of guilt. I'm done. I'm going to put on my robe, shake out my hair, and walk on down the hall to the Hotel California. I'll find the bar, order myself a drink, 
and then sink into the warm, inviting waters of the hot tub. I've always wanted to try it, but I never got around to it. I guess now I will. I'll soak for hours. Then I'll come back up and slip into bed, sleep like a baby. Then, tomorrow morning, I'll wake up. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll get myself a beer. I'll dress, I'll have breakfast, I'll go to work. I'll have another day of fun, fame, fortune, and decadence. And I won't think about death anymore. Or her. Or you. I'll go to the bank, pay my rent, and leave. I'll forget you ever existed. You can rot in hell, man. I miss you, though. You know this is all a lie, right? This is the end. I heard some lyrics from The Doors in the story. How did they get in there? So what I did this time is an experiment. Before I even started, I went through some of the more well-known lyrics of The Doors, and I kind of jotted them down and put, uh, made a list. Then as the story was unfolding, when it would get to a point where possibly this lyric might fit in there, I would slip it in, press send, and see what happened. So my experiment was... Has this AI been fed with lyrics from different songs? Because if it had, then theoretically, if I put the beginning of a lyric in there, it could spit out right the rest of the song. But it didn't. Hmm. Which is okay, too, because it's kind of just fun to see what happens when you add a sentence out of nowhere. See where the story goes. Was it ever able to spit out the next lyric? I mean, did you try over and over? Yes, I did. There's like a half a dozen or so in there. If you listen carefully, you'll be able to find them. But, but no, it never did. Okay. But there are some things, much like your story, that it did get right and it did get wrong. It was talking about his girlfriend, and her name was Pamela, which I was like, yay, in real life, his girlfriend and perhaps wife was Pamela. Her name in real life was Pamela Corson. But it changed it. I howled when I read her last name, Pamela Weinfart. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a wine fart? Did you Google wine fart? To no, see I didn't. Or? I heard you did, though. I did. Is there? Yeah. No, there isn't. Oh, there's, no, there isn't. there's no <laughs> wine fart. I don't know how it does that. Another thing that was really interesting, a kind of strange connection, is that in real life, when Jim and Pamela met and they got married, they had a hand fasting and some... Oh, what? What is a hand fasting? It's a Wiccan ceremony. Think of it kind of like a Wiccan marriage. People just hook up forever in life. Okay. So anyway, during this ceremony, some drops of blood evidently were exchanged. And at the time, and even when I was a kid, there was this huge rumor that they were drinking like goblets of each other's blood on a floor with a pentagram on it or something. So that's in the internet brain somewhere, right? And as my story was being generated, it did come out that this Pamela Weinfart mm -hmm. was a vampire and that she lived off of drinking the blood of men. And I thought, well, I wonder if that's a connection or a coincidence. Or a coincidence. Hmm. There was there was a part where he's talking to a voice. Mm -hmm. Does it ever give a hint of who the voice is? It really didn't. I thought it was Ray Manzarek. I think everybody would think it's Ray Manzarek. Nobody's going to guess Robbie Krieger or John Densmore. Densmore, no. But it was his father, evidently. Or it could change. 
that's how the AI stories go. You're going in one direction and it just takes you to left field. Yeah, it often, the AI seems to kind of lose its train of thought, mid-thought, a lot. And there are ways to fix that, but that's an advanced topic. I can't do it yet. So I think the part of the story that struck me the most was at the very end when he talks about taking a bath. And it is true that Jim Morrison died in a bathtub, and that came up. So that was true. But at the very, very end, he talks about going to the bottom of the tub and drowning there. But then he says, you know, he's going to swim back up, which is very hopeful. And as I read that part, the music that you made kind of goes up a scale. And I just think that was brilliant. pure coincidence, was Terry. <laughs> I didn't I wasn't paying attention to the lyrics when I when I put the music in, in the background. So that's just luck. That was just dumb luck. That happens a lot with me. Yes, when I when I put music in in a story and it just ends up changing at the right place and I just have to move things around just a little bit to get it perfect. You said you got some feedback from listeners. Yes, I did. And they were asking, how is it that you create these stories? Right. So I'm going to try to explain that uh, in the simplest way possible. So I'm going to do it right now, and you can do it along with me. I have my web browser open to 6b.eluther.ai. There's a link to the site in the description of this podcast if you're listening on your phone, or in the description of this video if you're watching on YouTube, or in the show notes if you're on our website, uncannyrobotpodcast.com. If you want to give it a try right now, pause the episode, go to 6b.eluther.ai, and continue listening when you're ready. If you're looking at the site, 6b.eluther.ai, what you see is a very simple web page with a text input field that says, write some prompt, dot, dot, dot. Under it, are two sliders labeled top P and temperature that you don't need to worry about right now, and a button labeled run the model. So I'm going to type in a prompt, and here it is, and I want you to type in exactly the same thing. Here we go. Once upon a time, there were three bears, a mama bear, a papa bear, and a baby bear. They lived in a little cottage in a big forest. One day, Papa Bear was standing in front of the bathroom mirror and noticed that he had the first ever gray strand of fur on the top of his head. So type that in exactly, or copy and paste it, because it's in the description. And you'll see an animated spinner with the message waiting for the model to respond. It may take up to a minute to generate. Please be patient. And then next, one of two things are going to happen. If all goes well, you'll see some new text on the page. It'll be the prompt that you typed in in boldface and then what the AI wrote to continue the story. If all doesn't go well, you'll get an error message in red that says, unable to connect to the model, please try again. If that happens, just keep pressing the button until it works. And then there will be a new button under the results to send the results back to the AI as a new, longer prompt. And here's the story I got after pushing the button a few times. Once upon a time, there were three bears, a mama bear, a papa bear, and a baby bear. They lived in a little cottage in the forest. One day, papa bear was standing in front of the bathroom mirror and noticed that he had the first ever gray strand of fur on the top of his head. 
Aha, said Papa Bear. I can see the day when I will turn into a grumpy old man and have to wear a hat. And Papa Bear went out into the woods to play with the other bears. The mama bear was sitting on the back porch eating honey. The baby bear was playing with a big rock on the beach. And the papa bear was playing with his toys. And he was pretending that he was a bear. When he was playing with his toys, he saw a toy bear. He was pretending that he was a bear. And the toy bear was pretending that he was a papa bear. So papa bear said, hey, would you like to be a papa bear? And the toy bear said, great. And papa bear said, I will turn you into a papa bear and I will teach you to play with the other bears. So the story that you get when you push the button is going to be different from the story that I get when I push the button. And every time you push the button, you're going to get a different story. How'd your story turn out, Terry? Okay, here's what I got. Once upon a time, there were three bears, a mama bear, a papa bear, and a baby bear. They lived in a little cottage in a big forest. One day, Papa Bear was standing in front of the bathroom mirror and noticed that he had the first ever gray strand of fur on the top of his head. Why don't I grow hair like everyone else? Papa Bear said. So Papa Bear went into town to buy some beer, which made him very happy because it gave him an excuse not to go outside where the sunshine would do his shiny skin so much good. And then Papa Bear went home and drank the whole bottle of beer by himself in his room. After this incident, Papa Bear felt very pleased with himself. But just as he was preparing for bed and before turning off the light, Papa Bear thought, Hey, I still have one more job to do. So Papa Bear ran out into the forest and chased after Mama Bear. Mama Bear ran as fast as she could, but it was of no use because Papa Bear caught up to her very quickly. He didn't want to hurt her, but if he hadn't stopped her, Mama Bear would have given birth to another one of those pampered babies who are constantly asking to clean up their own drool and give themselves belly rubs whenever they need one. What? (laughs) I think this is a fantastic segue into what else AI does so disturbingly well, and that would be not safe for work. Sometimes, apropos of nothing, it can really squick you out, or it squicks me out. I mean, I've been around the block a time or two, but being reminded of the depravity that exists when I'm trying to write a story about the three bears is a little unsettling, and it has me rolling my eyes and pressing redo, redo, redo. So would you like to elaborate on that one? Let's see if I can explain this. The two most commonly used neural networks for creating text, there's one that is made by the AI consortium that is in partnership with Microsoft. And that one is called GPT-3. And that's the one you hear about the most. They're trying to clean up the neural network to prevent it from spewing erotica. There's also an open source neural network for generating text. And it's made by an organization called Eleuther. And that model is called GPTJB6 because it has 6 billion parameters. That's the size of the neural network. That one has no filter. And that is the one that uh, we just used. Okay. So you have to be careful. You don't want children to be playing with this and exactly. making stories right. because there's no way to prevent 
something from going astray. It can happen suddenly and you can't undo it. So what you're saying, there's no parental parameters or something. You can check a box and say, I want this to be safe. Right. You can't do that with what we're doing. Right. But GPT-3 is safer, not 100% safe, Mm -hmm. but they're working on it right now. And can anyone use that one or? Um, You can sign up to use the beta. Hmm. And if you try to use it for nefarious purposes, they will find out and boot you off. Hmm. And I've heard of people getting kicked off. Okay. If you got an interesting story and you want to share it with us, you can send it to us on Twitter, our website, or our Discord. So this is how you put a prompt in and you make text and you make a story. So how did you make the music? Pretty much the same way, except instead of a text prompt, I use a music prompt. Hmm. Um, I figured out how to create a MIDI file that I could put into a, a neural network. Instead of being trained on words, it was trained on lots and lots and lots, lots of music. And you choose what genre you want and what instruments you want. And it's not like you can put in the prompt and hit play and something good is going to come out. Every time you push the button for it to, you know, spit something out, it gives you four choices Mm -hmm. of the next 400 notes and you have to choose the best one. And it actually takes a long time because you have to listen to all four you have to push the button again, and it's only a couple seconds at a time, depending on how many notes are in there, because 400 notes can be like three seconds, or it can be, you know, five seconds or six seconds, depending on how complicated the music is. Mm-hmm. I had one really good composition come out, and I took that MIDI and I put it into a sound editor, and I chose instruments, and it came out really, really well. And that's the song that was playing under the part where the narrator was getting tortured by Elvis. (laughs) If you want to hear the song, uh, just go to SoundCloud and search for Uncanny Robot. What did I call it? A little less conversation, a little more of my belt. And there was also another one that turned out pretty well. Mm -hmm. But that one, a little less conversation, a a little more of my belt turned out fantastic. Yeah, that is really good. Alrighty, then I think we're done here. All right. We need an ending. Oh, can I say that next one's going to be a Valentine's Day spectacular all out pew pew? I don't associate pew pew with Valentine's Day, but I guess we'll find out. Oh, please tune in next week. Okay. That's probably good enough. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Uncanny Robot podcast, let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please support this show and all our other shows by donating, subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or spreading the word on social media. I'm Rich Pav. And I'm Teresa Matsura. UncannyRobotPodcast.com has transcripts of all episodes, information on how to contact us, ways to support the show financially, and how to submit your own stories for possible inclusion in a future episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.